Scandal of Grace is a series that's supposed to finish, but we can't finish it. And uh, so in this half an hour I've got left, I've entitled this talk, Scandal of Grace, an appendix. If you read books, you'll know the bit probably you never get to is the appendix, six, 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 six. I'll never know what the plural of that is at the end, and you often have appendix A, appendix B, appendix C, appendix D. And it's kind of like either referring to something that needed to be said in more detail later on, or they didn't really have time to put it in the actual book. And if you're really, really interested in this subject, you're keen, so you want to know even more information at the end. And so the scandal of grace really culminated last Sunday, for those of you who have been here week after week, uh, with the arrival of Jesus, having worked through Matthew chapter 1 and all the different characters and the genealogy of Jesus, um, and it culminated in Jesus. And we're praying that through all these events that we've just been hearing about, that uh, over the next few weeks we will have many people come uh, through this building and the other venues that we represent, um, and that people will get a revelation of who this Jesus really is and why he actually came into the world, because a lot of people are very confused about that. So do bring friends, because it's an opportunity to us to show them what this is all about. So really, last week should have been the end, and as I was preparing for what to share this week, I just couldn't get out of my mind that actually, although it culminates in Jesus, rather than it being the end of the story, guess what? In reality, it's only just the beginning. It's a bit of a strange thing to to think about, if it's not the last word which happened last Sunday, because Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, which is... The ending that James shared about Joseph, etc., last week, it's kind of like, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So it goes, Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the father of Jesus. End of story. End of the line. It not only culminates and, and builds up to the arrival of Jesus, physically, That's the end of the story. It also ends with him. Jesus never married. Jesus didn't have any children. It was the end of the family line. So what on earth are you doing here today? This should be the end of the story because it all culminates in Jesus who died and rose again and ascended at the right hand of the Father and poured out his Holy Spirit. Well, if you have Bibles, you'll see in John chapter 1, this is the explanation as to what happened. And this is referring to a lot of things that happened in our worship already today. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, talking about Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, slowing up for you to get this, children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so an amazing miracle happens That's not physical, but is spiritual. Jesus physically couldn't give birth and wouldn't give birth to physical children. 
but Jesus was to inaugurate a new kind of birth which was to cause multitudes of people to do what has been said in this passage I've just read to you. Not born of the flesh anymore. Not your surname that counts. Not your lineage and your genealogy that counts anymore. But those who received him, who believed in his name, it says in verse 12, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of man, or of the flesh of God, it says here that you had the power to become children of God. Jesus gives birth to a whole new nation. No longer a physical genealogy, but a spiritual genealogy. Through Jesus and believing in him and being born again and following him, a new line begins, not the line of David. You can come from any line you like in any nation and any background, and now when you're born again, you become of the new line of Jesus. Not the Jewish nation, not any other nation, but the one whom Jesus forms. This is amazing. How on earth did you and I become children of God? Well, if you've been here through these weeks, you'll know the answer is adoption. Those of us who were not worthy to be called by his name or in his family have been miraculously adopted and have now become the line of Jesus. So here's the line of Jesus coming right through. It culminates in him. And people think that's the end. He's killed. The end of the line. Suddenly there emerges a whole new line of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every line and every background because all and all of them are adopted into the family that God is now building. And a few weeks ago when we were looking at adoption, we looked in Galatians chapter 4, we saw the pattern was we are all slaves but we are then redeemed and we are then adopted and then we become sons and we become heirs of all that God has for us. Folks, you're looking a bit dull. The scandal of grace just got a whole lot better and even more scandalous. That people, you, ordinary people, who are you? You're not royalty, you're not the line of David. You're not of the Jewish nation, unless you are, but most of you are not. How come you're here today? It's even more scandalous to believe that people like you and me become part of God's purposes. Not only that, the Bible clearly says if we've looked through this line, this Jewish line, these people of God from Abraham onwards. This is what it says about you and me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, you Gentiles, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's describing people in this room today. But now, in Christ, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's an amazing thing to think the scandal of grace we've been looking at has been about a people group. It's all been focused in upon them. And I can imagine some of them, after Jesus has come, are saying, well, maybe I am of the genealogy of Jesus. I'm a Jew, and at least I get to claim something 
from my past. It says of you and I, we weren't even close. We didn't even have a chance. We didn't even have promises of covenant or anything else. We were the no people. We were the people in gross darkness. We were the people far from the purposes of God. And really, when people could stand and say, well, I'm of the Jewish line, I'm kind of close to it, I might even have something to do with the whole background of this, the Bible is now saying it's absolutely irrelevant. Neither Jew nor Greek. No one gets to inherit this unless you are born again. The Apostle Paul typifies this when he says these familiar words in Philippians chapter 3. And as I've been preparing this week, these words come across even more powerfully as we've looked at this scandal of grace, this line of the genealogy of Jesus. In Philippians 3 verse 3, for Paul says, For we are, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, says Paul, have reason. He's like looking back. I could have qualified. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of, we're back to the tribes, see? Of the tribe of Benjamin. I was there. I was kind of part of the line, really. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless wow but whatever I had I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ it's kind of like if anyone's proud of their background if anyone says well I was close even that no longer after the coming of Jesus is relevant to anybody. The miracle that happens to us is this amazing miracle that Jesus comes and begins something new and fresh again. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn of a new creation, or your translation might have a firstborn of a new order, or the firstborn among many brothers. This is a radical concept. Listen carefully. I know it's Sunday mornings, it's a bit theological, but you, you, know, you need to hear this. This is amazing that Jesus has the power because of his death and resurrection and because of his grace poured out upon ordinary people that he becomes the firstborn of a new line it's all built up to him and now he begins the whole thing over again and he welcomes people who are far off like you and me all the nations of the world every color skin every background educated non-educated rich and poor whoever you are you can now become a child of God and he is the firstborn of a whole new creation hallelujah it's like he's the first one in line and we all get to line up behind him the bible says we are now all one new man in Christ 
He goes before us. Whatever your background, whatever your language, whatever your culture, you all, we all can become brothers and sisters together. We get up to line up behind him. There's a doctrine which we haven't got time. You see how fast I'm talking to get into about Jesus being our older brother, our elder brother, and that we are all his brothers too. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Have you ever thought about Jesus as my older brother? He is the firstborn of a new creation. He has begun a new race. It's called the people of God, followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ. And if you know this morning that you are in Christ, you're one of those many sons that he has brought to glory. Firstborn of a new line. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't care what your color of skin is, Paul is saying. I don't care about your background. I don't care about your lineage. I don't care about how proud you are of all the things you've done. I don't care about which language you speak. It's kind of not about that anymore. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. What does that mean? Well, they just thought he was another man. Son of Joseph, the carpenter. We regard him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she, is a new creation. Has that happened to you? Has this miracle happened to you this morning? If it hasn't, it can happen today. If it's happened to you, why are you sitting there so quietly listening to this sermon? Because this is the most remarkable miracle. Can I just, I know I'm laboring it, but I'm going to say it again. You are far off. You were despised, you were in darkness, you had no hope, you weren't near the promises, you weren't anywhere near Israel, all of those things. You had no chance of being a continued line of Jesus except his grace, scandalous, undeserved, unmerited, could not work for it, could not earn it, was poured into your life and it's one of the reasons you're sitting here today. So our past, which comes with pride... I think in Matthew chapter 1, there's a lot of entitled people. You know, you look back, your pride that comes with, part of, with, with pride, your past, Paul says that is irrelevant. It doesn't matter how good you were. It doesn't matter what kind of life you It's all nullified. And your past, which comes with a mess, that is nullified as well. A lot of these people in Matthew 1 were messed up. You know that by now. Also, is nullified. Nullified once and for all. Okay, one final scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is talking about his past again. He's talking about the things that have happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and uh, verse 3. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised from on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to, appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. That must have been cool, knowing just popping in on someone that actually saw Jesus resurrected from, from the grave. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, Unworthy to be called an apostle, 
because I persecuted. If you know about Paul, he persecuted the Christians. He stood by when Stephen was stoned. He held the cloaks. He caused Christians to be murdered. He put them into prison. He was absolutely determined to wipe out Christianity. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. There's a new DNA, even for people who murdered Christians, threw them into prison. What have you done in your past? Not many of you have murdered Christians. See, if the grace of God could come to someone like that, the grace of God can come to you and deal with your past. There is a new DNA. There is a new bloodline. There is a new genealogy. There is now a family likeness. You have brothers and sisters that you're in relationship with from all over the world. Something new is pumping through your veins. The Bible says you have a new name and a new heart. You are a new creation. You are adopted. Physically, I know where my line comes from. You do too. And who do you think you are or were? You can investigate these days by the touch of a button to find out all about your past history. I know that that doesn't get nullified. I am English. It is my family. Do you know these days you can do DNA testing? Some members of my family, rather weirdly, are doing DNA testing and some of them are trying to do it with me. I said, clear off. Like I found that some of our members, you know, and it comes back. I don't know how this works, that you're 15% Greek and 25.3% Scandinavian and, and, and 90, not 90, but, you know, 15.3% Welsh. I mean, I don't know how you work all that out. But you are what you are. So I could trace my family back to the early 1800s. William Holden, the father of James Holden, the father of Walter Holden, the father of Frank Holden, the father of Elliot Holden, the father of David Holden, the father of... See, it goes on. That's, that's my background. You can trace even further if you like. That's what I am. Except, one day, Jesus broke in. And although that line of my past is not to be despised, whether it's good or bad stories in the past... What really defines me now is my new DNA. The family that Jesus came from is the family that he came for. Messed up, confused, far away. And you know what's wonderful about this new line that you're a part of and I'm a part of, this new inheritance, this new bloodline genealogy, is that it's not temporary. It's eternal. You will live forever. You will go to be with the Lord. Because why? Because you're of the new line. Because you're of the new DNA. Because something of eternity has already come in your heart. You don't belong here. You belong there because that's what Jesus has done in your life. I've divided this into two, to be honest. That's appendix number one, or A. It's pretty good stuff, isn't it? You didn't make this up, did you? I, I really didn't make this up. This is amazing stuff of revelation that God gives to you. And the reason it's important, before I go on to Appendix B, is because we live in this life and we have an enemy who constantly lies to us. 
And we have circumstances that happen that make us question. And we know ourselves. So we can think of lots of reasons why we don't deserve to be in this new creation that Jesus is forming. But this is truth, brothers and sisters. And if you know that this is true for you, this overwhelms all those other things. The lies and the confusion and the things that people say about you. You're not this, you're that. Who do you think you are? I'm a child of God. It brings dignity into your life. Before you were even born, this line was already waiting for you to inherit. Hallelujah. Appendix B. And this is the final thing to say as a result of this series. And it's to do with this, that that this wonderful series that gives you theological understanding and appreciation of the scandal of grace doesn't end with this series because if you have received grace and the Bible says we are lavished with the grace of God, this grace has the potential to be far more than a theological understanding. It has the potential to radically change your life. You see, you could come out of this series, series thinking, oh, that's been wonderful teaching. It's so wonderful. I've so enjoyed it. And it's about what happened to me when I came to Jesus. The grace of God that I didn't deserve was poured out upon my life. The news is this. The grace of God is still available today. And the news is this. The, the grace of God is still available in every day of your future. And the news is this, the the grace of God is not just a theological statement. It has the power to transform every part of your being. It may take time. It may be a gradual process. But this grace that you've enjoyed coming to salvation is grace that's poured out potentially upon you and upon me and invades every part of our lives together. Let me land with this, 1 Corinthians 15.10, this wonderful final declaration Paul makes. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That one verse is just so full of so much. Three things. One, he says, the the grace of God to me was not in vain. Your translation might have not without effect. What does that mean? I not only had revelation, Paul says, it changed me. It permeates every part of my life. It was not in vain. The doctrine is more than a doctrine. The grace of God is something alive. The grace of God, I think you'll agree with me as we've looked at this series, is probably the most liberating, life-changing and motivating truth any of us could ever hear. So I have a question. Why are there so many miserable, condemned, striving, unhappy Christians in the world today? I think the answer is this. The doctrine, knowing it, is not enough. I know people that can preach powerfully the doctrines of the grace of God. And if you hang out with them, they're the most miserable people you could ever meet. So what, what, how can you put these two things together? Here's the answer. The grace of God is an amazing truth, but it's meant to be amazing truth that you don't just look at and wonder at. You let it penetrate your life. Have you allowed, will you allow all the things we've been looking at over these last weeks to actually permeate every part of your life? How do I know if it has? 
How do I know whether the grace of God has really permeated your life? Well, I see you in meetings, mostly, and you see me in meetings, mostly. So let's just agree together, you have no idea whether people are living in the grace of God in a meeting. I mean, you just don't. You could have been on the way to this meeting this morning, and you could have been a little bit late, and you could have been rushing. You know, it's like when you're rushing to a meeting, and you're kind of all boiling up inside, and everything's going. If you're like, you know, some of you got three, four, eight, twelve kids. You know, it's hard work getting to the meeting, and you're thinking about, come on, kids, we've got to get, we've got to get, we've got to get, get in the car. The kids all jump in the car. Your wife, for some unbelievable reason, is later than everybody else, and you're sitting there with the key, just turning on the ignition, waiting to go. Come on, it's going to ten to ten, five to ten. We've got to get, there, we've got to get there. And then kids shuts his finger in the door and he's screaming, "Shut up!" You know, come on, we've got to get to the meeting. What's the matter? You'll be fine. Jesus, will, Jesus will heal you in the meeting we've got to get to the meeting we've got to get to the meeting and you're five minutes late and you're coming through the door and you're absolutely wrecked some kind person the blue t-shirt says good morning how are you and you say hallelujah praise the lord i'm just wonderful come children let us go into the house of the lord so basically no one knows if you're a christian for any length of time you know how to look like a christian you know how to worship like a christian I have no idea whether the grace of God is really penetrating your life in meetings. Do we all agree with that? I think it's true. If you came and lived with me for a week, stop laughing. If you came and lived with me for a week, I think you would get a measure. So this works both ways. Just think about this. I will come and live with you for a week. I'll hang out with you at home, in your family, go to work with you, be with you in your leisure time, I think that's where I'm going to discover whether the grace of God is more than a doctrine. So whether or not it's really penetrated your life. So if I discover, for example, that fundamentally you are easily condemned, this is me hanging out with you, okay, throughout the week, that it says to me the grace of God has not yet penetrated your life because the grace of God doesn't condemn you, it sets you free. If I discover fundamentally you're a person that's striving, all your life you're, you're just striving, you're driven, you're striving, that just tells me the grace of God hasn't yet come to that area of your life. Why? Because the grace of God brings rest. I mean, you might have a lot on, everyone's got a long, lot on this time of year, but there's a fundamental rest when you're enjoying the grace of God, even in the midst of difficulty. Maybe I discover you're a very, very intense person very, very anxious, very intense about everything. Would I discover that about you? Because if I did, then it would show me the grace of God hasn't yet come to you in that area because the opposite is contentment. It's what the grace of God does in our lives. I'm not saying we're all there yet. We're halfway there. But there will be these fruits of grace. What if I discovered your whole, your whole life was dominated by a sense of rejection? What people have said to you, what people think about you, rejected, rejected. Why do I think that's not the grace of God? Because the grace of God is all about acceptance. And even when people reject you, fundamentally, there's an acceptance that you know you've been accepted in Christ. Suppose I discovered you were full of self-pity. It's all about me. It's all about things about me. It's me-centered. And, and everything is about me feeling sorry for myself. You see, the grace of God works in you so much, you're so overwhelmed by the grace of God, you find yourself thinking about other people more than just poor old me. Would I discover if I 
came and hung out with you, that you're a person that's very competitive and very, very judgmental of others. The grace of God helps you understand you don't have to do that because you're approved. What if I found that you had a low self-image? It would tell me there's yet more for you to understand about your new identity of who you are in Christ. How are you at work when it comes to the grace of God? You think, this is getting ridiculous. We've just done this genealogy. of Now you're asking me, what's that got to do with my work? Everything. How's your marriage? There's grace available. How's your relationship with your children? Grace is available. How are you when you have relationships that are difficult, handling pressure, perplexities, hassles, injustices, people? What are you like standing in a queue? How's your driving going? You, you laugh, I tell you what, these are the tests as to whether the scandal of grace has come into your life. The scandal of grace never stops. It's determined to cover every area of your life. Second thing Paul says, so the first thing is it's not without effect. It's changed, it's permeated every part of my life. The second thing is it's given me a new identity. One minute I'm persecuting the Christians, next minute I'm in Christ. So Paul makes this amazing statement in 1 Corinthians 15.10. I am what I am by the grace of God. Can you say that? It's a huge test as to whether the scandal of God's intention is the scandal of grace. Despite your past, despite everything that's happened to you, you are able to look in the mirror and say, by the, you might not look like what you look like. That's irrelevant too. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It's amazing to be able to say that. See, a lot of Christians wish they were someone else. If only I was like her. If only I had more gifts. If only I looked differently. If only I had a different background, I'd have had a better start. If only I was more gifted. You have to understand that the grace of God has already accepted you as you are with all your failings, with all your mistakes, with all your funny looks, with all your lacks, your strange ways. Reasons why God should not accept us are obvious in our hearts but here's the scandal of grace he did anyway he didn't say hey sort that out then you can come in clean that up then you can come in come as you are it's amazing isn't it come as you are and how did you come you came just as you were and that's why the apostle Paul makes this statement you know he's got lots of reasons to disqualify himself do you know, I think the only alternative to believe what we're just saying now is this. You must have been a mistake. You must have got in when God was having a busy day. And he didn't notice. And he turned to the angels. He turned to the angels and said, how did this person get in to this family of God? The reality is, God doesn't make a mistake. His back wasn't turned. He knew you by name. He chose you. And he said, I want you to come and be part of us. It's amazing. You're not lost in the crowd. He knew you before the foundation of the world. I know that I'm a work in progress. I know that you are as well. Sometimes we feel we're less like Jesus rather than more like him as the years go, out, go by. But I am what I am by the grace of God. To some people, talking about me now, I know that means I'm a friend, which is kind of nice. To some people, they would say, look at me and say, you're, you're, you're a nice guy, you're, you're a pastor to me. 
Some people would look at me and they would say, you, you, you've got an apostolic gift you bring to us as a church. To one person, I'm a husband. To four, I'm a father. To 12, I'm a grandfather. To some people, I'm a pain. They really, really don't like me very much. I know there are some people that when they see me coming, they walk across the street. They go to the other side for whatever reason they might have. They might have good reasons. But despite all of that, I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm weak. I need to be better. But God's grace is what's going to do that in me. Thirdly and finally, Paul says this amazing verse, part of this verse. He says, I've worked harder than all of them, yet not I. Oh, oh, how to love. I wish this would penetrate. Wouldn't you like this? See, the scandal of grace is, grace is not being lazy. Grace is not, oh good, I'm in the grace of God. No one cares. Jesus loves me. I'll get there in the end. It's all all right. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. The Bible also says the grace of God teaches you to say no to things. This is not an excuse for a lazy life. So Paul says, I work harder than all of them. But here's the, this is the difference. Yet, it didn't feel like hard work. Why? Because of the grace of God. What does that mean? Well, I was buoyed along by this grace of God in my life. Let me just say this is really important as I close. You don't know and I don't know what's going to happen in our lives in the future. But this is what I do know. There's grace available for everything that you go through. It's like grace is like banked up. It never runs out. So you never get into a situation you think, and then God looks at you, oh, we've run out of grace for that one. It just never happens. God's got masses of banks of grace all available. The Bible says grace in times of trouble available for you. Everything we face. And Paul knew this. And he learned this lesson. He tapped into something, the availability of grace for everything he faced, for every occasion, for every struggle, for every difficulty, for everything that he didn't understand. He said, yet not I, the grace of God. I long to know this more and more in my life. If you're someone who's striving and are a bit driven, you're tempted to try harder all the time. That is not the result of the scandal of grace. The result of the scandal of grace is that you and I have grace to live in, not in our own strength, but in every circumstance to know that he is available for us.